Open it with me to Acts chapter 1 here this morning. Uh, we're starting a new series, and the series is titled The Start of What's Finished. The Start of What's Finished, or The Start of It's Finished, you could say. Uh, I titled this morning's message, While We Are Waiting, While We Are Waiting, from Acts chapter 1 through 11. And, and really, the, just to give you a little bit of a backstory on this, you know, this last year, you know, just in praying about going through the book of Romans, like, so what's really, what do I think the Lord, the next thing that you really want us to study? And um, it just was, you know, I mean, I felt just over and over and over again, the Lord was just clearly articulating in my heart and my mind, you know, to go into the book of Acts and spend, you know, as much time as we needed to there uh, to really get into this book. Because I love that Greg Laurieism. You know, it's not so much how much you get into the Bible, but how much of the Bible gets into you. And and I really believe that that's true. And and maybe one of the things that troubled me. And I, I want to start by asking a question this morning before we read the text and we pray. When I think about the United States of America, you know, we've been a, a nation for what two hundred and forty-seven years now, right? And and that's a long time. And, and I and I. I asked myself this question, and I want to ask you this question this morning, um, and by a show of hands, how, how many, by a show of hands, you believe that our country no longer resembles what our founding fathers set it out to be, that it does not resemble what our founding fathers had hoped, you know, if they looked and they projected forward in, in the year 2023, is the United States, you know, on point? Does it does it look like what our founding fathers would hope that our country would be like in 2023? And 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 maybe you know, and I could ask the same question: How many believe that it's right on track, or it's on track for what our founding fathers had hoped that it would be? You know, and so there's always going to be people on both sides of the equation, and and I kept thinking about that, and the Lord just kept bringing that thought, and I started. Just going back, you know, over U.S. history, I I, I can't remember the, my my oldest sister Beth is here. She was a history major in college, and you know, I don't even remember reading a history book, you know, and and so after I got saved is when I really decided that I wanted to read things, and and so I found myself going back and reading the Constitution and reading the Bill of Rights, and so in my own heart and mind, I just came to the conclusion that. We're not very close to what I see and what I believe. And that doesn't mean that if you differ with that, that, you know, that's okay. Um, you know, you have every right to be wrong. I don't, I'm not going to ever hold that against you. I wouldn't know. Um, but the beauty of it is, is that as we look at, you know, our constitution, it, it was a, it was what we would call as a founding document, right? It was to give us direction. It was to, to spur us forward. And, and I think about where our country's at today and I go, man, we are so far from the mark. But what, what really got my attention is when I went back and you go, well, again, how long has the United States been a country? What do we think? 1776 to today, what did I say that was? 200 and how many years? 247, okay? 247 years. So then, and this is why you'll start to understand why the book of Acts meant so much to me personally. How many of you have ever heard that expression, history not learned from tends to repeat itself? You ever heard that? Yeah. 
And so as I look at that, and then I think of the church, when was the inception of the church? It's, we'd find it in the book of Acts, right? And if you put a timeline to this, you would say that was around, if Jesus, you know, was crucified and he resurrected and ascended back to heaven in about AD 33, that puts us, you know, almost at about 2000 years, right? You know, and you go, so I look at the United States and I go in 247 years, I believe that we have, let's use the word drifted. We have moved way far away from the mark. And I'm not talking about political affiliation or anything. I'm talking about what our founding fathers believe for our country. And then I look at the church today and we, Jesus has been gone. How long? 2000 years. And I ask myself, you know, has the church drifted? Has the church moved from what God intended, not what you see modeled or what you see practiced. And when you look around today in the church, but you go, what is to be my guide and what is to be your guide with regard to faith and practice? Would you agree it is to be the very word of God? It's not my opinion. It's not your opinion. It's not what, you know, society says or what's in or, you know, what's vogue. You go, it's what the word of God declares. And so as I looked at this, I was going, man, Lord, I want to, you know, and I love, you know, that I think of an old worship song, you know, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, you know, Lord, where it's all about you. And so as I began to study this for myself, you know, I looked there and, and I'm again, as kind of an intro today to this whole study, um, you know, in Acts chapter two, you know, it tells us, it says they continued, this was the, the apostles, the disciples, right? those that would come to Christ, it says they continued steadfast. It says in the apostles, you, you and you guys know this, right? In what? Doctrine. Doctrine is simply teaching, the apostles teaching, Jesus teaching. They continued in that. And it says in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, which could include communion. It could also include meals. I mean, there's, there's many aspects of that. And then prayer. And so I look at it and it's been taught many times that those four aspects or characteristics are like the legs of a table. And if you knock, you knock any one of those, those legs out, that, that table loses its stability. Does that make sense? Can you picture that? And, and then it was well said, uh, I can't remember who said it. I was at a conference you know, decades ago now, and the, the pastor said, you know, the early church was founded on doctrine and fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. He said, had the early church ceased to do any of those things, the church would have ceased to exist. He said, but as I look at the church today and all the things that the church is into, I just read things from a bulletin, right? Going through it. And he said, if the church today of the things that we are known for, you know, today in the church world, he said, would anybody even notice? And I had to sit back and I was, wow. I go, you know what? We might be drifting. Those are just things. And when I say we, it's us as individuals. We, you know, a church is nothing more than individuals corporately coming together. The church is not a building. It's people. We'll see that again and again in the book of Acts. And so for me, as I looked at this, you know, I, I went, wow, 2000 years of the church and history. And 247 years, you know, in our world, you know, as a, as a nation, 
and and I see all the things that are happening and the and the the discourse and the displeasure and people you know either wanting to rewrite history or you know move away from what you know our founding fathers and then create something you know if we're going to experience you know what some believe utopia then we're going to have to change everything and there there's so many dangers in in this thought process and again with my belief and understanding is that history that's not learned from does repeat itself and so we're seeing this you know again and again and so what i want and my hope for me and for you as we go through the book of acts is that as we study this is that we reaffirm those foundations that that make our life firm solid jesus said he who builds or her who builds their life upon what the rock he said no matter what the storms are the the winds can come the rains can come they can beat on that house but it'll stand right it'll withstand but if your house is not built on the rock and the storms are going to come jesus said it right they are going to come and the winds are going to blow and we're seeing it like never before i mean you're seeing it in your life as i see in my look around and you go there's people falling right and left and right and left giving up on on the faith that was once in christ jesus and you go it's like man so to be able to come back and go lord you know we want to check our heart we want to make sure that you're the one who not only gave your life for the church you're the one who created the church amen and and to go this is what church is about and to look at it through the lens of scripture in all of our lives and as we're checking like i said our heart at the door and going I'm committed to these things in my life. I'm committed to the word of God. I'm committed to God himself. I'm committed to all the things that, that Jesus has commanded us. He didn't say these are suggestions. He didn't offer those to us. He said, you know, that, you know, if you love me, he said, you'll do what? You'll obey me. You'll do the things that I'm telling you to do. And he goes, why? Because it's for our own benefit. Because he loves us. And he loves us so much that he would go to a cross and die for us to guarantee, you know, our success. And so, I want to read this with you and just take a moment, you know, and pray as we, we begin this series. And like I said, I, I hope that it speaks to you like it does to me. Um, in, in Acts chapter 1, I'm reading from the NLT translation. Um, Luke writes this. He says, In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything that Jesus began to do and teach. And that's important. What he began to do, that's the gospel of Luke. He said, Until the day that he was taken up to heaven, after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and he died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, you have to understand this, is futuristic. When God returns to this earth, at the second coming and establishes his kingdom, okay? So he's telling them about futuristic events, things that are going to happen in the future one day. He says, and once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and to store our kingdom? They were thinking of all the Old Testament prophecies, all the teaching of the Old Testament. And Jesus replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you 
to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him, you can kind of picture this, right? It was like, it says, into heaven, two white-robed men, two angelic beings, suddenly stood amongst them and said, men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. When someone asks you, go, hey, do you believe in the second coming of Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus is going to come again? You know, hopefully your answer is yes. And when they say, why do you believe it? And you can simply say, because Jesus said so. Jesus told me that he was coming back. He made a promise. And has Jesus been faithful to every promise that he's made? Yeah. And so you might say, I could have titled this, I guess, this morning, what goes up, what will come back. Yeah. What goes up will come again. And uh, he will. And that's why whenever, whatever trial, whatever situation, you know, you're going through not just good times, but hard times. What did Jesus say? Don't look down, but look up, right? For your redemption draweth nigh. I mean, man, today could be the day, right? I mean, you, you might be here today in church. God, I don't know how you're, how you're going to pay the rent tomorrow. The car insurance went up by 50% and gas prices are this and milk is this and food is this and this and this. And then you go, man, Jesus, if you just would come now, I wouldn't have to worry about any of that stuff, right? And you go, is that an escapist mentality? Absolutely. And that's what we should be praying, right? Lord, come quickly. Get me, get me out of here. Because when Jesus comes and he takes you home, are you going to have any care in this world ever again? No. It's the best thing we got going is to be with him in, in paradise. And so that's our prayer. And so, you know, you look at this and it's, it's such a wonderful, wonderful portion of text that there's, it'll take you know, days for us to, in the true sense to really unpack it. But um, let's take a moment and just ask God, you know, for today, what does he have for us? We read this text and we're reminded, you know, of Luke's gospel and Luke is telling us, you know, hey, my gospel, you know, when I wrote the gospel account, it was for this purpose to tell you what Jesus began to do. And when he wrote the book of Acts, it's what Jesus continues to do. And it wasn't just that he continued to do it, but watch this. How many of you gave your life to the Lord within the last year? Is there anybody in the, within the last year you gave your life to the Lord? Yeah, there's one, one, two people. Okay. Uh, how many, and say in the last five years, you gave, you gave your life to the Lord? Is there anybody? Oh, okay. How about the last 10 years? Anybody that in the last 10 years? Yeah, there's more. How about the last 20 years? How about the last 30 years? 40, 50? You know, you think about this and you go, when did Jesus, when did he go up into heaven? You go about 33 AD, right? You go, aren't you glad that he didn't hurry back? You know, that you're, that, you, that he waited for you, you know, and you think about that you go, we are living proof. All of us that are here in this sanctuary, those that are watching on, we are living proof that what, what God began to do, he continues to do to this day. I, I love it. You know, every time I, I baptize somebody, I'll thank them. 
I, if I baptize you, are you, are you, remember, I told you, I said, man, I just want to thank you for walking in obedience to God's work. And they're like, you know, you don't have to thank me. And I go, no, I do. Because the beauty of it is that Jesus told us, he said, baptize people, right? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've commanded you, right? And remind us that, lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age, right? And you go, when you get baptized, what are you doing? You're fulfilling God's word today. And people are looking at your life. Again, we get this thought and, you know, and it's so wrong. We think that we're supposed to go out and witness for Jesus, right? That, that's the call. Oh, and, we, and we see that as a burden. Jesus never said that. He didn't say that we were all called to go out and to witness. He said, you will be a witness. When Jesus comes into your heart, when you receive him as Savior and Lord, that he manifests himself in and through your life. You become a witness, good, bad, or indifferent. You are a witness at that point. And the pressure in the truest sense, when we get it, isn't, isn't on us. It's on the Lord and that he who began a good work in you is what? Faithful to complete it. It's him doing that work in you. Our job is to get out of the way, right? It's about surrendering to the Lord and saying, God, have your way, you know, and have your will in my life here. And so that's what we pray. And so Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for your church. I thank you for your people, Lord, who love you. They, they come week in and week out throughout the week, different studies to grow in the knowledge of your word. And not that's, that we would hear it, but Lord, that you would teach us how to apply it. So that way, when we are walking in this world, we're not in the safety and the security of our sanctuary, but we're out there in the world that we can be as wise as serpents, but gentle as doves. We can recognize, Lord, uh, the evil that goes on in the world. And, and Lord, we, as your word teaches us that we're, we're not, um, you know, with regard to the schemes of the wicked one, uh, we, we get it. We understand that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. People aren't our problem. It's the spirit working behind the scenes. And so Lord, thank you that you teach us those things. And because of that, Lord, you offered us a peace. You said, my peace, I give to you, not a peace that the world knows of, but your peace. And so Lord, I pray that you'd fill your church with your peace today, that you'd fill us with not just your presence, but Lord, you'd fill us as we study this book, that you'd fill us with your power, Lord, that as we see in Acts chapter one, in verse eight there, that dunamis, that dynamic, that, that word dynamite, that power, Lord, so that we can understand like the apostle Paul, that Lord, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead works mightily in us. And so, Lord, show us and teach us, help us uh, to experience that. If there's anybody here today that, Lord, um, would say, I, I don't even know if I'm, I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit, that, Lord, as we study this, that, God, they would see that the way to be filled with the Holy Spirit is the same way that we get saved, is to ask, it simply is to come in faith and say, Lord, just like I can't save myself, and Lord, thank you for being my Savior. I go, God, I need power. I need your power to live in this world, this crazy mixed up world. Thank you, Lord, that you said that if I would come to you and I'd ask that, God, you would provide your spirit. And, and thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here. Thank you that, God, you'll fill people today that are, that are hungry for you. And Lord, thank you for your word that as we reread that man can't live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so satisfy our soul today, Lord. We love you. We love worshiping you. We'll love 
receiving communion at the end of this service, just being reminded as we take that bread and receive the cup that it was your body broken for us. It was your blood shed for us, that we could know that our sins are forgiven, that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, and that, Lord, you are in us, and, Lord, you're with us. And as we study here in Acts, you'll even come upon us, Lord, uh, for works and service in your kingdom. And so, Lord, we look forward to not just today, but through this whole series, through this whole study, Lord, God, how you would minister to us. And so be magnified, be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, so, you know, there in, in verse one, you know, he says, you know, my first book, so obviously that was the book of Luke. So, you know, if you study theology at all, and you, you understand New Testament, you know, the way the Bible's laid out in bibliology that Luke and Acts were at one time were just one volume, but that would have been a big volume, right? So there's a natural break here, and, you, and it's right here in, in Acts 1.1 when he says, in my first book, so he's telling you, here's the dividing line for everything that I told you. And you go, what was the purpose of, of Luke's gospel? He was writing to Theophilus, you know, Theophilus means lover of God or God lover. Um, you know, all kinds of thoughts with that. Was it a specific person? I believe that it was. When I mean, you read the book of Acts and you see that, you know, Luke, this is kind of funny when you think about this, that uh, Luke was a doctor, but he was also, he was a slave. And you, you think back and you go, wow, there was a time in the world that doctors were slaves, right? And now you think of it and you go, do you own your doctor or does your doctor own you today? You go, man, the times have changed. I feel like a slave to my doctor, right? And I, I'm, and, and I love my doctors and I, I will do this to my, because I've known him for, for years, Dr. Baker, by far and away, my favorite doctor here in Bakersfield. Um, I'll t tell them, they go, so, um, you know, Mike, so you saw Dr. Baker today? Yeah, you know, so it's going to be, you know, this much and da 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 and say, okay, so then I come back the next time and they're like, so why are you here? And I go, well, what do you mean, why am I here? And they say, well, we don't, we don't, we see, you have an appointment, what, what's it for? And I said, I'm here to make a condo payment. And they're like, what? And I go, I'm here to make a condo payment. And they go, what do you mean? I go, well, you just said there's no reason for me to be here. So the only possible reason for me to be here, because he set the appointment, is I need to make a condo payment for somebody else, right? And you, you get that and you think, so what am I paying for with all this? And you go, but in the truest sense, I would think most of our doctors today would think they're owned by the insurance companies, right? That's a whole other thing. But it just, what do we see? Times have changed, right? And so... So here, you know, Luke obviously is a very intellectual, intelligent man. He's writing to Theophilus that, again, so when you study commentary, you can go, okay, Theophilus, he's either a, a person, and I truly believe that he is, especially with, in light of how he addresses him in Luke's gospel, uh, in Luke chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, again, in the uh, NLT, says, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled amongst us, they used eyewitness reports circulated amongst us from the early disciples, and having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, he says, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, and he uses the word most honorable uh, Theophilus, okay? And so when he uses that, that usually means that he was somebody, he was a ranking official, right? And that, that's the term. So you'd go, well, obviously, maybe it's who Luke, who owned Luke, who was the, the servant over his life. He said, and I'm writing this to you so you can be certain of the truth 
of everything that you were taught. And, and what I love about that, when I think about, you know, this Theophilus, you know, that he uh, was the owner of Luke, who when he himself got saved, he freed Luke. We see that in the book of Acts so that Luke could travel with, and, with Paul, and, and then he could obviously write the things that he had seen and witness in the early church from the apostle Paul's life, and then send that back. Now, some people believe that, no, when it says lover of God or God lover, it's not really written to an individual person, but it's written to me and you as well. And, and I like that. I don't necessarily hold to that, but I like that, that it was written for us, right? Lovers of God so that we could know. Could you imagine how you'd read the Bible if it went right from the Gospels to the book of Romans? You'd be going, how did he get from Jerusalem to Rome? You know, you go, Acts fills in so much detail, right? If you wanted to find a, an outline, I don't know if you're like me, I like simple stuff. I, I'm, my mind is just, I'm simple-minded. I, I look at like verse 8, right? Acts 1-8. Jesus said, you know, to wait for the promise of the Father that you'll receive not many days from now. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he said, he didn't say you'll be a witness, you know, for me. Like, okay, Lord, I'm waiting here and hire me, make me a, you know, kingdom employee, and I'll go out and I'll do all this stuff for you. And he said, no. He said, you'll be a witness, what? To me witness to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, right? So Jesus gave us the outline for how we study the book of Acts. The first part, you know, chapters 1 what through 8 there, we're going to be looking at Jerusalem, you know, 9 and 10, we're going to be looking at Judea and Samaria, and then from 10 on, you know, through Acts 28, we're going to be looking at, you know, Rome and the uttermost parts of the world. That's the natural you know, breakdown of the book of Acts. And, and it's a wonderful study. And again, why it's important is because it's history. And again, it, it, you know this from your own life. You can think of your own discouragements. Have you ever, have you ever made a mistake? You ever sinned? Have you ever blown it? You ever done something wrong? And you go, I'll never do that again. And then you did it again. And you, and you felt your, the own, your condemnation in your own mind. You, Dang it. And what were you telling yourself? You go, man, I didn't learn anything. You go, what are you kind of saying? You're going, I didn't learn from history. The, the beauty of it is to learn from history, right? Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and he talked about the Old Testament, and he talked about the failures. That's what I love about the Bible. God doesn't gloss over everything. Why? And you go, because he came to forgive us, right? He came to forgive us of our sin, not to rub our nose, and he came to rub it out. And so he says, I write these things to you for your admonition in chapter 10. He goes, I'm telling you all these things, all these failures that these guys made in the Old Testament. He said, so what? He said, so you could learn from it. We don't just learn from everything that we do right. How many by a show of hands, you've learned more from what you've failed or done wrong than what you've done right? You know, yeah, I go, yeah, all day long. And you go, and can God capitalize on that? Yes. Yeah. But I love this because, you know, then I see it and, 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 I, and, I, and I give some credibility to this. I love this thought, you know, and I love how people think. I don't care if they necessarily think like I think. I like to understand why do you think that? Like I said, I think everybody has the right to be wrong, okay? So if you don't agree, and that's, you know, I'm just saying that, you know, kiddingly, but you, you go, so how did you come to that conclusion? Well, one of the things I love about when you think about Theophilus is that if he was a high-ranking government, he's a Gentile official, is that you go, maybe as some believe that this was a defense brief. Have you ever thought of that? That what, what Theophilus was writing was a defense brief 
that they were going to present to the Roman government in defense of Paul and the Christian faith. I like that. And he's going, I'm giving you, you know, because we know that, again, so if you study New Testament, you go, which gospel was written first? We know Mark was written first, right? And that Matthew and Luke came after it, that they used Mark's gospel to pin their own. And you go, it's great. We, that's why we call them the synoptic gospels, right? There, there's a synchronization between, what is it, 95% of what's in uh, Mark's gospel you can find in Luke and in Matthew. Matthew was wrote specifically for a Jewish audience. Mark was written for a Gentile audience, right? It just cuts to the chase because non-Jewish people wouldn't have understood the Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled. Matthew is very articulate to make sure that the Jewish audience goes, hey, the Old Testament prophecies are all fulfilled in Jesus, right? Where Mark doesn't need to go there because they didn't know the Old Testament. It's like many people, they pick up a Bible. They don't, man, I started in Genesis and I just skipped it. I got to these names I couldn't even pronounce. So I just said, hey, you know what? Let's just go to the New Testament. My friend said, go and start in Matthew. And you go, I've read the whole New Testament. You go, then that's like Mark's gospel. So Luke took those. And we don't know if Luke or Matthew came, you know, first between the two. We just know they both had Mark's gospel account. So they're laying this out and you go, maybe that's what he was doing. Maybe it was a brief that it was a legal, uh, you know, defense for the apostle Paul, because we know that he was with him, you know, in Rome for two years yeah, while Paul was awaiting trial there. And so he's writing these things out. So again, there's so much that we can learn and, and receive for ourselves even today. And so, you know, when I, when I look at this, um, I'll skip over all this stuff. You can get the notes, but, uh, you know, he says, um, notice that the former account, he says, you know, it concerned all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. And I, that word began there is so powerful because it, what does it suggest? To say that he began something, it didn't say that it's what he completed, right? So he didn't say it's over. He's still working today. Is Jesus still working in you? Yeah. He who's begun a good work is faithful to complete. He's still working today. Why? What's different about Jesus over any other religion, every other religion, is Jesus is alive. And he's not just with you. He's not just alongside you. He's in you. That's one of the great mysteries when we think about receiving communion. Like I said, when you take that bread, and they, and they believe that, right? There was They saw something mystic in it. There were those that were outside, you know, because you, you think this is about the time of, of the book of Acts, um, you know, it was written before AD 70, right? So it's probably 52, 55. John's gospel was actually written after um, Jerusalem was overthrown because John's writing, which is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John's writing was from a theological standpoint, was to demonstrate that Jesus is God. You know, he's the God of all creation. You go, but here we're looking at this and you go, he, he's saying, I, he began to do something and he's continuing to do that work. And, and I love that because again, it's what he's saying is it's not over. Yeah. You know, so this thing that, you know, God wants us to understand today is that you, sometimes we just think and people again in this world, if you don't have Jesus, do you really have hope? No. And you can see what's happening in the world today, a world that's without hope. Now here's something that's interesting as well. 
why it's important to study the book of Acts, why it's important to study the Gospels. And, and, and maybe you don't get into dating, you know, but it's important to understand when these books were written. Were they eyewitness accounts? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they were eyewitness accounts of what Jesus, these, they weren't written centuries later looking back in that regard. And there was a reason, you think about if they were written, and, and most Bible scholars believe that it was somewhere between 52 and 55 AD. So if you said Jesus ascended back into heaven in 33 AD, and it's 52 to 55, you go, roughly how many years is that? Just yell it out. Round it off. About how many years? 20. Yeah, it's about 20 years. Well, generations, you know, weren't very long in that day. So here's the thing. What I started with today, and I said the United States is 247 years old, and I think that we've lost our way. That's my personal take based on what I see in the Constitution, what I see in the Bill of Rights. That's my, I'm not saying that's your take. That's my take. Whole, I'm not saying Calvary Chapel per se, or, but the church as a whole, when you think of Christendom, and I know that because I read Revelations chapter two and three, I'll give you a little bit of extra there. But you look at that and you go, I believe 2,000 years, we have lost our way. That we've added so much things to the church. It's not just about doctrine. It's not just about fellowship. It's not just about the breaking of bread. And it's not just about prayer. We've made it a lot of other things. And, and, and if we're going to, again, succeed and we're going to be standing at the end, we've got to come to a place that we go, you know what? We got to come back to the heart of worship where it's all about these things. Because if you're looking around and everybody claims to be religious and many people claim to be Christian and you're watching people fall like flies, then you go, something's not right. And, and, and you look at this early church and you go, and in 64 AD, you know, Nero, so here's Caesar Nero, that's who Paul is appealing to stand before. And this is about 62, you know, AD when he is, you know, killed. 64 AD, if you study, you know, Roman history, was the beginning of the persecution against the church. Wave after wave after wave. You know, and that word witness that we see when Jesus in, in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is where we get the, the, the Greek word martius. It's where we get the English word martyr. So think about that. Jesus said, you'll be my martyr. Ooh, that takes on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? You go, people, they were going to suffer. You go, well, what does tradition hold? That all the apostles, except for John, died martyrs' deaths. Why were they willing to do that? Because they were convinced that this book is true. They were convinced that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be. And what I'm seeing today is people fall away, fall away, fall away. Why? And you go, how could you do that if you were truly convinced? You go, you couldn't. You couldn't. You wouldn't. And you go, why we need the Holy Spirit in our lives? Not just to be sealed for the day of our salvation, but to be empowered, you know, by God himself. We, we find so much in Acts chapter one for the teaching on the Trinity of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all working in conjunction. And we talk so much about the Father and the Son, but not about the Holy Spirit. And, and of all the things that we need today, and you think about this, Jesus prayed this, right, himself. He told the disciples. And, and it's why when I look at this, and like I said, I'm kind of abstracting this just for time's sake and everything else. It says, you know, when the, the disciples were watching Jesus, it says, and he was taken up before them, right? 
right in their midst, right? And you think, why did that happen? Why, why did Jesus have to be taken up? And you go, I believe because it's fulfilling the word of God in their life because they could have a mark moment because Jesus said, it's better that I go, right? For when I go, he said, I can pray to the Father in John chapter 14. He said, and the Father will send, what, another, another. He said, like me. And he calls him, he says, the parakletos, what? The comforter. Think about this today, church. Is, is the world in need of comfort today? I mean, think about it first. Is the world in need of comfort? Yes, they need a comforter. This world is messed up. Do, do Christians today more than ever that are trying to fight the good fight, do they need comfort? You go, yes, who knew that? Jesus did. He could have called him anything. And he said, he's like me. That's why I always love, you know, when Jesus said, all you who are weary, all you who are worn out, he said, what? He said, come unto me. He said, for I am what? And it's where he, Jesus, for the first time, the only time in scripture, he defines himself. He says, for I am gentle and I am lowly of heart. He said, I'm gentle. And like I shared with you, you know, previously messages, he goes, I'm approachable. I'm available for you. You'll never have to be alone. And you look at that and you go, that's the beauty of communion, right? As Jesus took that bread, he said, this is my body broken for you. This cup represents my blood that was shed for you. And when you ingested it, what happened? You go, it becomes part of you. That's the picture that he wants us to see with the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, people will argue, and it's so sad. They'll take one verse and they'll say, well, you know, we were baptized into one faith, one Lord, one baptism. The baptism that it's talking about there, when you study the language, that's the baptism of the body of Christ. You were born into a family. But there is a unique experience that each and every one of us can have with God through the person and the power of the Holy Spirit that he says in Acts chapter 1. And again, we see it, and we'll, we'll go into this in more detail, but I'll close with this. Then we'll receive, going all like the, the worship team to go ahead and come on up. But I want you to think about this. There's three very distinct relationships that we have with the Holy Spirit. And I believe more than anything today, we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. If we're going to make it, Jesus said, you've been sealed, the Holy Spirit, by what? Salvation. So when we receive, when we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord, Scripture says that Jesus Christ came into you. Does that make sense to you? Have you seen that and studied that in Scripture? You said that the Holy Spirit has come into you. Then we know before you were born again, before you were a Christian, the Holy Spirit was with you. The Holy Spirit was in the world. And what was the Holy Spirit doing in your life and my life? He was alongside us and he was bringing conviction. Can you think of before you came to the Lord that you had a conscience and you felt the conviction of God? You, you felt this, in a sense, this pressure, you know, and, and again, intense at times, you know, that you're, you're, it's like, what did Jesus tell Saul who became Paul? He said, Saul, Saul, he says, why do you kick against the goads, right? Then what is a goad? It was a sharp stick, a shepherd's stick. And what was he saying? He's, Jesus was basically telling him, Paul, this is my word. Heaven and earth are going to pass away, but my word isn't going to pass away. You can kick against it all day long, but guess what? It's going to come to pass, right? And you go, the Holy Spirit was working. He was working in Saul's life. He was working in my life. He was working in your life. So we have this, you know, these three very distinct relationships with the Holy Spirit. 
He's with us to, to bring us, to convict us, to bring us to Jesus. When you open your heart, he comes into your life. He seals you for the day of your salvation. But the one that Acts talks about, the relationship, the, some renderings of the, the word is epi, E-P-I, or E-P-P-I, when he comes upon you with power, power to live for him, power to, again, and, and maybe in your Bible, it says it just like mine, it says the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. That's not a correct rendering. It really isn't in the truest sense. It's not the Acts of the Apostles. It's the act of the Holy Spirit in the apostles. Would you agree with that? Yes. And you go, and it's the acts of the, of the Holy Spirit in what? The disciples and in you and I. He hasn't called us in the true sense to go out and to witness. Yes, there are those that have the gift of evangelism. Yes, and preaching and teaching and things. But you go, but you know, every single one of us, you have opportunities. You're in circumstance and situation where you need the power of God. And what did Jesus teach us in Luke chapter 11? As he said, ask and seek and knock, right? He said, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you, right? He says, you know, if you fathers, loving your kids, and you talk about a good father, if you fathers loving your children, your kids came to you and they said, dad, give me, you know, an egg. He said, would, would give him what? You know, a scorpion. You go, you know, you wouldn't do that. You'd give them what, what, they, what they asked for. And he says, and he concludes it with this, and he says, how much more does your heavenly father love you? And give, give the Holy Spirit to all who what? Ask. Ask. How did you get saved? How did you get saved? For by grace, you've been saved through faith, right? And not of works, which any man can boast. It is the gift of God. It's a gift. You didn't earn it, right? I mean, can we sit here today and go, I deserved it? No, you know, I deserve hell. But God, who's rich in his love and his mercy, communion, he died for me. He died for you. And then to think, he's going, it's not just that he came into you. You go, no, but you go, man, Lord, I, I don't know what to say in this circumstance. I don't know what to say. What did Jesus say? He said, don't, don't worry about it. When you go, he says, I will give you the words. He told us, he said, the Holy Spirit, when he comes into your life, he won't speak on his own. He said, he will, he will represent me. He will bring to you, he says, my words. He will quicken the word of God in you. He will lead you and he will guide you. And then the most amazing thing, and he calls him as the paracletos. He goes, and he will comfort you. But why? Because those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. You're going to suffer. You're going to suffer for righteousness sake. And you go, you're going to need comfort. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were in the fiery furnace, who was there with them? God. When Daniel was in the lion's den, as we studied that, who was there with him? When Paul and Silas are in prison, we'll read that as we go through the book of Acts. You know, does God come to him? Yeah. When Peter's in prison, the door, who, who opens the door? You know, wherever you're at today, this is the thing I want you to know as we receive communion. You might be in the lowest of lows today. You might be in tremendous pain, physically, emotionally, relationally, you know, you know, of all the things that we could be praying for today is that God would 
fill us with his spirit. And again, it's not, you know, I love Dale Moody, one of my favorite evangelists. You know, he said, you know, I pray for, you know, a refilling of God's spirit in my life constantly. You know, there's some that say, hey, we got it all the day that you got saved. I thank God that's how it is for you. Praise God. It's just not like that for me. I'm like Dale Moody. Dale Moody said, you know, I know this about Dale Moody. I leak. And the picture I get is like a helium balloon with just a little pinhole and it's there. And it's, you, know, you have it in your house and you come back the next day and what's it doing? Laying on the ground, right? I get it. And so we pray again and again, not to be saved over and over again. No, we're saved once and for all because of what Jesus did on the cross. But you can be filled again and again and again and again and again and again. The E-P-I, epi experience, dunamis, dynamic power. They go, God, I need your strength. I need your power in my life. And if you need that today, I invite you to pray and ask God to give you that power. He, he, won't, he won't say, well, you need to clean up your act first. Did he say that when you got saved? No, you came to him. So what? He could clean up your act. He'll got it. I can't. He'd go, you can't clean up your act on your own. You need what? His power. And that's why he offers it. It's a gift to all who would believe, to all who would receive it. Yes. Do you have to be born again? Yes. You have to be born again. You can't get around it. We'll see that with Simon the sorcerer. I just want the power. It doesn't come that way. It comes by virtue of the fact that you are born again. But if you are, make that your prayer today. God, fill me with your power. Fill me with your strength. And he promises to do just that. And so I'm going to invite those that would pass out the elements of communion if they'd come. And as you receive communion today, just enjoy a sweet moment with the Lord, thanking him afresh today. You go, Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving me. You maybe haven't thought about that all week. Maybe you've drifted, you know, and you go, man, what a great way to come back on a Sunday, the first day of the week, get things in, in the right order and go, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you that even though I forget about you, you never forget about me. Thank you for shedding your blood. Thank you for washing my sins away. Strengthen me. Ask him, do you need strength? Is there a sin today in your life you're committing? And you're going, man, the thing's got a hold of me. Hey, you've been cleansed by what? The blood of Christ. Receive communion today and say, Lord, thank you. Because of your blood shed on Calvary's cross and you defeated sin and death. And I received that today. Fill me with your spirit that I would have your power, your dunamis power in my life. That I would, I know I'm going to be a witness, but I want to be a good one. Every place that I go, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Father, as we receive communion, Lord, let it be just a sweet moment with you. We thank you so much for loving us like you do. Thank you for what you'll teach us in the days ahead as we go through this study in the book of Acts. And Lord, may it just reaffirm uh, our love for you, the fact that, Lord, you've loved us so much that you created this thing, the church, a place, a people. Lord, we could be knit together in your love to care, to serve each other, Lord, to prefer others even over ourselves, the same way that you, Lord, have done that for us. But Lord, we know we can't do that in our flesh because in our flesh dwells no good thing. But God, we've all experienced it, that love you. Man, when your spirit comes upon our life and we just, man, we forgive, 
Lord, we love, we care, we serve. It's so freeing to die to ourselves and to live for you. We see it. It's what made the church such a, a force in the world. Because, Lord, you said it, by this all men will know you're my disciples because you have love one for another. So, Lord, for that to happen, God, we need less of us and more of you. And so, Lord, even as we're receiving communion today, pour out your spirit upon your church and be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, enjoy.